Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fire Science Show. Having this podcast, I really like how it allows me to react on what's happening around in the fire science world. And just two weeks ago, I received a very, very good news. And that was the announcement of the winners of ERC starting grants in Europe. And this year, actually, for the first time in the starting grant scheme, there was a grant about fire. This is huge. This is amazing that it has happened. The grand benefactor is uh, no other than Professor Ruben van Coyle, multiple guest of the podcast, a friend of the podcast. I'm super happy for Ruben's achievement. And yeah, you may think getting a grant, that's not a big deal. Everyone's getting a grant all the time. And it's, it's just something that runs the cogwheels of, of science. But no, this scheme is, is special. This is something meant to fund breakthrough research, research that can truly change the discipline the research represents. And the project, uh, you can imagine, I, I've invited Ruben and we're going to talk about it all the episode. This project is something that can change fire engineering and fire science. And I'm super happy about it. To get an ERC grant, you get through an insane process. There's, I think, up to 12 reviewers per each grant application. The applications must be absolutely excellent. Good is not enough for ERC. They must be excellent. They must be super well thought. They must be super well prepared. They must be extremely well laid out. So even submitting a grant is already an achievement because you had to really think out what do you want to do. And getting one is a proof that, that your concept is sound and it may change the world we live in. So I, I'm really excited that such a grant has happened in the world of fire. It used to be my dream to get an ERC funding one day, but then I started the podcast and I Prefer this this pathway actually <laughs> rather than fighting for funding schemes. But I'm happy that there are researchers at the absolutely highest level who do fight for these schemes and they win it. And today, yeah, the episode is all about Ruben, his achievement, his ERC grant. Let's go. Welcome to the Fire Science Show. My name is Wojciech Wingzinski, and I will be your host. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fire Science Show. I'm here today with Ruben van Coyle again. Hey, Ruben. Hi, Wojciech. Good to see you. Congratulations, man. That's such a nice uh, opportunity to meet because you just received ERC starting grant. Yes. Amazing. Thank you very much. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And for those who don't know, this is the um, European Research Center grants that are awarded yearly. They are five years projects, probably the biggest research grants a single researcher can, can receive in Europe. And it's very rare that the fire, I mean, it's very rare for a civil engineer to get one. And for fire, I think for fire engineering, only Guillermo had had the ERC funding. And we actually covered that in, in the podcast in episode two, if you want to check out the, the, the scale of a grant towards the end of it. Today, we're going to talk about the scale of a grant and the early day. So I'm going to read the title and you give me uh, your elevator pitch because you, I know you must have had trained that. So <laughs> I, I read the title, you give me elevator pitch about what it is, and then we go into details. 
adaptive fire testing and new foundation stone for fire safety. Indeed. I would say my <laughs> official elevator pitch, I'll leave that for now because it's okay. very, I'd say, targeted and also for people who actually already read the proposal, right? So what we want to do is we want to develop tools and methods to just change how we demonstrate fire safety in buildings. And there are different aspects to this. So first of all, if you think about how demonstrating safety in buildings is done now, we have this prescriptive uh, fire testing, which with pass-fail criteria. And what we want to do is we want to move towards testing, which actually teaches us how the, build, the building product will behave in a real fire. And, and this, there's lots of uncertainties there. So this is definitely, it's not an easy question. We want to quantify how the building product behaves depending on the fire itself. Secondly, when you have that, we also want the, this to be incorporated in demonstrating safety for a building. So we don't want to just have prescriptive rules and saying, oh, it has to be this kind of product. And we don't want to uh, propose better classification methods. No, we want to have an evaluation, a real-time evaluation of the risk profile of buildings. And what this allows you to do, I mean, it allows you to do many things, but what it allows you to do is just step away from what you think of as prescriptive guidance. There are no rules anymore. What you now have to have is a building which passes safety criteria. And we can talk about safety criteria later, but I mean, it's not an easy statement there, but fundamentally, you evaluate the risk of a building. And if the risk is too high, you have to change something. But if you think about this, say like, okay, this uh, all sounds very nice, but you have to change something. And then how can I now possibly evaluate what to change? Well, yes, it's a very difficult question. We need to do many calculations. So we're also going to do circuit modeling. We're going to do, basically, you can call this machine learning, but we're going to do physics-based machine learning. So physical constraints, physical backgrounds to the model. So getting to machine learning, which actually make where we make sure that our results comply with that basic physics, really. So that's the core of the project. There is one additional point I like very much, but it's going to be a challenge as well, is that there's a work package on, let's say, convincing stakeholders. Really. So we're going to do a cost-benefit evaluation of compliance frameworks, the existing framework, what we propose, and alternatives possibly, so that then at the end, hopefully we can show or at least we provide a method to show that this approach, which we are proposing, actually has a benefit to society compared to just sticking what we have done forever. So, and that's the starting point of, of the proposal, really saying, like, look, we need to change this. We need to have a new way of testing. And this new way of testing should not be one with pass-fail criteria, but one where we test to increase our knowledge. So, Either, very specifically, product development, we're going to increase our knowledge and reduce uncertainty in the behavior of a building product in fire, or very case-specific and targeted, you have a specific building, could be even an existing building, and you want to perform a test so that you demonstrate that your building is safe. Now, th this might raise lots of questions, uh, but we can talk about that later, of course. Now, to enable all of that, you need lots of stuff. You need to do uncertainty quantification. You need to do what is actually a value of information assessment. What that mm -hmm. means is that you are going to evaluate before you do a test what you think the test is going to give you 
And that way you can compare different tests. I mean, this might sound very weird when you hear it first time. We're going to jump into that in very detail. So my attempt at summarizing that, we're designing buildings based on 19th century assumption of what fire performance is, fragmented into elements, parts of it, like not a building at all. I just had a Cardington episode in the podcast where it, and it was 1990s where they, for the first time, I think, looked at the building as a whole, not as a sum of its elements, right? 1990s, even that fire testing is 100 something years old, right? So so we need to look at it in a, in a different way and... and uh, Current fire testing that's based on fail pass and just single element test is, is not meeting that at all. So, so you would rather keep the fire testing. I appreciate that as someone who is running a fire lab. Thank you. <laughs> it's great that you see a future for us too. But you would like us to not be the judge and say, oh, this failed, this passed. But you would like us to build up any information. Yes, I mean, maybe even be a bit more targeted there. So you had the, the episode of on fire resistance some weeks ago, and at, yeah. at some point in that episode, if I remember correctly, you're talking about, okay, you can do testing and you can do numerical evaluations. And mm. uh, if I remember that correctly, like, well, numerical evaluations are the alternative and we, we know this is not the way to go. There cannot be an alternative to testing. I would say, look, let's not split those things fully. Actually, mm. you integrate them and it is your numerical evaluation which defines which test you should do. And it is mm-hmm. your test which then <laughs> informs your numerical evaluation. I mean, it, it's it's logical, but and this is the, the core of the proposal. It's an, okay, it's easy to say that, but how are we actually going to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got me at the pest file criteria. <laughs> like, uh, I, I really see no point if I'm doing a fire test for a, a person and they have a 60-minute wall and the, the test ends at 59 minutes and they haven't passed it and then... They have to come again, the same wall, 58 minutes. Then again, the same wall, 62 minutes. Yes, now this wall is good. And and that's uh, that's ridiculous. That's a system that existed for a century and has led to whole industry focused on passing the tests. That, that's what we have today. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work. Our buildings are safe. But then again, we, we did uh, with my friend Grzegorz, um, who was also on the podcast, a very informal survey with building managers, uh, construction managers in Poland who were doing uh, large investments like shopping malls, airports, like very large buildings, skyscrapers. And we were very informally asking them, like, how do you think, how, how much of the whole building cost that you're building, how much of that would be like fire safety, like oh, everything fire safety related, the, the passive active fire protection, everything, design. And the, the answer was very consistent between 10 to 15%. Of the building. So we are actually spending quite a lot on fire safety. If you think that 10 or 15% of the building industry, which is one of the biggest industries on the planet, is related to fire safety. So that's a tremendous amount of, of resources, global scale, that we may be using in a, in a stupid way, to be honest. Because what's the difference between two and a four hour wall in a skyscraper? Like, really, for the, the love of God. If the fire lasts seven or eight hours to destroy a four-hour wall, uh, the, the fire resistance of that wall is the least of your problems, to be honest. <laughs> so I guess your, your grant is also looking in, into that because you want to change the paradigm like completely, right? Yeah, so you, you raised an important point there. So 
when, when we talk about our prescriptive regulation, but regulation can also be guidance. The terminology there doesn't matter too much for now. We are not so clear on what we want to achieve. That's that's one. And very importantly, if we think about how innovation is moving so fast, and this is subjective, I admit, but I'd see no way how a government body or any other institution can just keep up with it and keep on improving or adapting their prescriptive guidance. Right? So something has to give. So either your prescriptive guidance just lags behind Maybe that's the traditional way where you wait for failure to happen and then we'll, we'll try to sort things out. Or either you are hampering innovation. Right? You, you just mm-hmm. say that ah, this is not allowed and why not? Well, because it doesn't meet this requirement, although it doesn't make sense. So what we also want to do within this proposal mm-hmm. is use this adaptive fire testing we talked about earlier, where we now get a much better view on the behavior of a building product to get a risk-based evaluation of the fire performance of a building. So if you Mm -hmm. do this in a proper way, and this conceptually, make it it simple, but it will be very difficult to achieve. An architect designs a building, submits the plans electronically to the building authorities, and then their computer system, probably a surrogate model then, evaluates the risk of this building, taking into account all of the information it has on building products, previous designs, and so on. So, And then you get an evaluation of the risk of this building. And this is what has to be accepted. I mean, this is the only thing that really matters. Okay, you, you, you've brought something new now. There, we, we talked about the, the product, so I guess it would be the um, manufacturer of the products in, interested in this uh, approach or, or, or one of the stakeholders involved. There's a building designer, and now, now we've mentioned building authorities, AJJs. Like, what is their place in your puzzle, like today and, and within the adaptive framework? So you said that the goal would be to provide them some sort of automated evaluation tool, metric, uh, system. Yes, although you have to make a distinction maybe for the for this project yeah. between so the vision, right and. I can imagine many people have this kind of vision where vision where of a instantaneous evaluation of fire risk for buildings, which means that the authorities do not have to prescribe things anymore because you have the risk evaluation. The prescription is just some kind of substitute, right? But what you actually care about is fire performance. So mm-hmm. this is what we want. That's the vision. Now, how do we get there? Well, therefore, you need some tools, you need methodologies. Within the proposal, different work packages, we are developing some of those methods, some of those tools, but you should not think them as a a finished product. It's more like, okay, Mm -hmm. if we manage to do this proof of concept, then hopefully we can convince other people, institutions, researchers, government, and so on, industry, to invest in this and build with our uh, proof of concept, build this new way for uh, demonstrating fire safety. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, let's talk the case study because uh, you, you picked an interesting case study, which is glazing and um, and load bearing glazing. W- what uh, made you uh, pursue this path? Like, why why glazing as your case study to demonstrate this new methodology? Well, that's <laughs> it's a funny question. I find it intriguing. It wouldn't be my first choice. So, writing the C proposal, I go yeah. through different stages. 
right? So almost mm-hmm. a year in, in advance, uh, some preliminary ideas, but don't go into depth. And then I think in, in the summer before mission really going into detail and went to different versions of it. The glazing was not mm-hmm. there in the first version. And then you ask feedback. And feedback is, because I was working with concrete, which is the typical thing which we do in our lab, and some gypsum burrs as well. I said, like, why concrete? Like, I'll, because it makes me feel comfortable. <laughs> as in, <laughs> right? So, well, and, and say, well, but highlight that within the ERC, it's about high risk, high gain, what is challenging, what is a breakthrough, and so on. It's okay, that's tricky. What we have now, and so there are different arguments than in favor of the glazing, what we have now on a structural engineering side is that there is a new Eurocode coming for glazing. This will not have a fire mm-hmm. part yet, so this fire part has to be developed. There's a lot, lot of research which is needed there. So, okay, that's one reason why glazing is, is relevant. On the fire part then, well, our glazing in buildings, then not load-bearing glazing, but just general glazing, defines how our fires develop, glass mm-hmm. breakage. So from that perspective, although there has been a lot of research on glass breakage, there is still a lot which can be done to just improve how we see, how we do fire dynamics calculations, really. So provide input there. Mm-hmm. This, uh, these are two arguments in favor of the glazing. Actually, there is also a third, just being complete here, is that within the department, one colleague of mine is, uh, let's say, expert in glazing. So that's also really nice and convenient. That's helpful, yes. Yeah. I'm not surprised that glazing is interesting. I, I had a, a podcast episode with you, Wang, and that uh, was fascinating Like to learn the complexities of glazing and also have been testing multiple types of, of glazing. So glazing is interesting as hell. It's just hard. <laughs> it's really tough. But I imagine for ERC, you're uh, not uh, like concrete as a safe path. Yeah, it depends. So indeed, that was then the motivation, although I do admit that within the set of reviewers, because there are many reviewers for the ERC, but there is at least one reviewer who said, well, maybe you should have taken concrete. (laughs) And you replied, yeah, that's what I told them. (laughs) No, 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 there there is no reply which you actually have. You don't have this opportunity. Uh, I only got the comments after everything was closed. So after uh, even getting the award. Okay, so let's talk about... um... The pathways that that you've drawn for your for your project with the structure of work packages, how you want to end up in this new paradigm for a fire's design acceptance in the twenty first century, and you start with with work package that that's related to the information value of fire tests. So let's go back to the value of information theory and what what do you really mean by by value of information? How how do you estimate when an information is valuable and what is it? Okay, so I'll I'll try a sh- uh, shorter answer first. We can go into <laughs> okay. more depth. Appreciate <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's one also, but, and I'm already expanding now. Uh, one of the things I've learned or I'm trying to learn following the ERC is I should answer more concisely. <laughs> uh, so value of information, the point being when you do a test, and in our field, a fire test, you would want to know beforehand which test gives you the most value. Are you going to do, as now with an example, a 60-minute fire test, standard fire? Are you going to do a fire with a cooling phase? What fire do you want to do? 
because yeah, you are not going to have infinite number of fire tests you can do. Tests cost money, tests have inf- environmental impact and so on. Which one should you choose? And I would argue that for the moment, at least in our field, this is not obvious. So within value of information, we will actually quantify that mm. and have an answer to that question about which test you should do. And here you use examples of risk metrics that are used related into the value of information, like FN curves, ALARP. Um, how, how does this play? Is this like done in the further steps or already like the test, the purpose of test is only to give the, the information and inform the, the rest of the process? That's next level. Yeah. Right. So I'll, I'll park the, the risk parts for a second. Let's say, okay, so if I hope this is uh, makes sense to the, to the listener. So if you say, okay, I want to know which test is the most valuable to do. Okay, great. And of course, you need to have a, a, a metric which you're trying to, let's say, optimize. And if you are a manufacturer within the current paradigm with standard fire resistance testing, and I'm just using structural uh, examples here, but I mean, can change to anything else, then this could be an evaluation of the uncertainty on your uh, just fire resistance time, right? And you want to make sure that you are on the safe side, that you have uh, your fire resistance time is definitely more than 60 minutes. The average is 65, standard deviation and so on. So you could target something like that within the current paradigm. Within product development, so if you're not even testing for compliance, within product development, you could just test your specimen to reduce the uncertainty on its performance. Mm-hmm. Because you're in a you're a developer and you just want to know if how the product is actually behaving. Now, next level is okay, we are now within a approach of evaluating the fire performance of buildings, really quantifying that. That means that we are evaluating. For example, the risk, fire risk of a building, Mm -hmm. because of the uncertainties we have, our building does not first comply with our target. Mm -hmm. Which tests should we do so that we think that we will switch or move our risk assessment so that now it will comply? Right. So you have an existing building. It has maybe an existing masonry wall or an existing timber Mm -hmm. column, and it does not comply with our risk target, which test are we now going to do, which gives us a better assessment of the risk. And hopefully, if the test outcome is positive, but okay, shows that uh, our building is safe enough. And and that is either through understanding performance of a completely new, untested previously material composition, setting of materials, building element, or through reducing us uncertainties of something that we already knew maybe, right? Exactly. So yeah. here's the feedback loop that, that you first want to understand the full building performance as proposed and find out, okay, what I'm missing here to, to get a better information of this risk or get the risk profile that is acceptable because I received unacceptable risk profile, right? Yeah. So th- there is always uncertainty. So uh, you have a, a small building, low rise, nothing special, not, nothing fancy on it. And then there is quite some uncertainty on the fire resistance of some slab. Mm-hmm. Within the risk evaluation, it is quite possible that you don't need more information on the fire performance of this slab. That within, I mean, there is uncertainty on it, it's taken into account, but actually having a better assessment of the slab fire performance doesn't teach you anything mm-hmm. regarding the building. Yep. While maybe 
again, structurally, but maybe there is a column, which actually this thing is the thing you should be testing. Mm. Right? So, and this is, I would say, not taken into account really in the, in the current approach. And within the risk-based approach, you could do that. Fantastic. I always thought that, that there's a space for performance-based uh, engineering in FireLab, that, that it could give more than just index. And y- you're actually showing a realistic pathway to achieve that. that. That I mean, everyone could say, okay, we could test the things in different way and then receive other things. The, the, the framework is necessary here to make it useful for the industry. Because if there's no framework, then we, we cannot go there. Now, mm, to enable the adaptive fire testing, you also have Web Package 2, which is gray surrogate modeling. I guess this is what you said in the beginning of the interview, that we shouldn't treat them separately. They, they are simulations and, and the testing could be used all the way together. Is this surrogate modeling also a part of, of this thinking? Yes, surrogate mod- modeling definitely is a part of it. The point there being that if you have advanced modeling, mm-hmm. then... Just the, the computational expense quickly becomes very big. Okay. Right? And if you do the value of information approach, what you need to do is evaluate before doing the test what a specific test result will teach you. Mm-hmm. So you need to actually update your model in many different ways to then find out which test you actually want to perform. And you could think of this as confirming um, which model to choose. Yeah. So almost, almost like a sensitivity study before you do the test, like which test would matter the most? Yes, this is, you could put it that way, definitely. But it means in that way that you would have to evaluate your model lots of times. So it becomes computationally mm-hmm. very expensive very, very quickly. So the obvious approach would be to use circuit modeling and call it machine learning mm-hmm. either way. So a, a model which is computationally very efficient and which approximates very well a more advanced model. Okay, that's Mm -hmm. great. Now, I have subjectively some concerns with black box circuit models. And just as an example, when you ask somebody to do a, to use a machine learning method on a fire engineering problem, then very often you will find non-physical results. As in, they've trained their model and the, the results are excellent and whatever, whatever, you with all the metrics. And then when you go into detail and you, you push the model a little bit, you find out that there are combinations where, for example, there is a fire and everything cools down. Just because the circuit model has interpolated and has been trained in a way that it gives non-physical results. Work package two, gray circuit modeling, is the same approach so it's still these methods of circuit modeling, machine learning, but with physical constraints. So physical constraints both within the model itself, within the cost function. So when you do machine learning, you have a cost function which you're trying to, to minimize and also as putting those constraints. So we're going to explore that. Can we develop, again, proof of concept ways of making machine learning tools which actually comply with what we know about how fire behaves, how structures behave, and so on. And this is, uh, it's like a dream. It's so fun, you're going to get to do this. <laughs> now, another question. You were kind enough to send me the short proposal for ERC. You're sending the short one and the, the long one. So maybe this is covered in, in the long version, but I couldn't find it anywhere in the short one. I, however, however, I spotted it on a figure. So on the pathway between the designer and architect towards the authorities, 
you said that they submit um, digital blueprints and on the framework, it's it's BIM model. So I wondered like, how critical is BIM technology for your project and how do you intend to work with that? The easy answer is it's not included. It's not included. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay, there's a space for the second ERC grant. So you take it as it is. Not even that. Not even that. So this is a bit of a, a different perspective maybe on on the proposal or on the, the ERC. So I, I was struggling in the beginning mm-hmm. to have a, let's say, a compelling story then showing mm-hmm. that this is research worth supporting. Mm-hmm. So I have wrote down this, let's say, vision where you have quasi-instantaneous evaluation of the risk profile of buildings and the, how would that be possible, feasible in it, right? Would be, for example, with, as far as I understand, BIM models being evaluated by a surrogate model, right? Mm. So that's the storyline. Then I say, well, if we want this, we need to develop these kinds of tools or proof of concept tools. And then those are different work packages. So the actual, how are we going to extract data from the BIM and which specific things do we need and so on, this is not part of this proposal. And actually, um, now jumping forward to, to maybe some other work package, actually, I do recognize that within the proposal in the sense that I highlight a lot that if this will move forward, there will be large follow-up investments needed, and mm-hmm. which is why I think there is an entire work package really targeting stakeholder buying. Very good. That's that's a smart move, and uh, I think there's a lot of uh, movement in BIM and Fire, uh, mainly in uh, code compliance. This is uh, a path for BIM for sure, where prescriptive code compliance it could be assessed through the BIM model almost automatically. I, I think that would be a very compelling uh, thing to see uh, such an assessment done in parallel with quick estimation of the risk profile of the building. You know, the the fundamental question that, that lies uh, is according to low safe and how safe it is, uh, which we don't have a good answer for that. In in your framework, I, I don't think that uh, that's that important is safe enough uh, with because you... Like you're not interested in the prescriptive code. You want to break this uh, paradigm. You want to shift it completely. Well, I still call it prescriptive, but I call it, uh, let's say, the 21st century prescriptive. Ah, right? okay, 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 so, okay. So you replace just a set of rules with uh, risk profiles and informed metrics and surrogate modeling. Exactly. Mm, yeah. Beautiful. And then if somebody who hears this is, uh, thinks, well, this is definitely not possible for every sit- single situation and so on. Yeah. Yes, fully acknowledged. So within this called vision again, 21st century prescriptive, risk evaluation, and then you still have your performance-based design approach, but mm-hmm. now with better data and better input, also the adaptive fire testing approach where if something is not working out all right within your performance-based design that you can know or at least assess which test you should do to get a better assessment. So definitely I am not saying that there is no space there for fire engineers on the contrary mm. i think within this framework i uh, concept fire engineering is much more engineering than maybe sometimes it is today i had a discussion with Sinian Huang at some point and we were talking about machine learning in, in general and he said something that really mm, resonated with me that 
You know, we can describe nature with an equation or a set of equations. We can describe nature with, with a three-dimensional CFD model or something. And and there's a neural network that describes the, the, the reality or, you know, some phenomenon in a way we don't completely understand, but it's a different language of describing. If you can build that, it works. It, it's not the same thing. And in here, again, you can describe your building with, you know, requirement that walls shall be R60 and the windows shall be R30 or EA30. And the doors shall be this, and you can have 40 meters of your path and, and stuff like that. And you can describe the building with a completely different uh, language that you would like the risk profile to look not worse than this. And when assessed in, in, the, in this particular way, and also giving a, a tool to how to adjust that risk profile. So if you want to adjust this risk profile, you don't change the fire resistance of your wall from 60 to 90 minutes as you could do today. Like today, if I want to. Uh, I don't know, reduce the fire resistance of my walls. I have to put sprinklers in it. And that's my cost-benefit analysis. The wall costs this, the sprinklers cost this. I benefit by by making the building cheaper, not not probably safer, but I, I don't know that in, in reality. In your approach, if you succeed with that, you, you get a full package of tools to know the risk and then base on the on the risk. That that's that's beautiful. Maybe one thing to to highlight. Is that well? I think that the, the, the paradigm, how we demonstrate if a building is safe, that should move. I am not saying at any point let's throw away all of our existing products and mm-hmm. and the, the results we already <laughs> have. Because yeah. so it's as if you gave an example earlier about the high rise structure and fire resistance and so on. It's as if you you have this okay the model of this high rise structure. The risk profile is evaluated. Um, it comes out. Very good. Maybe even you can reduce the classification of your of some structural elements automatically or not, and find out that this does not influence your risk profile. Or on the contrary, if the risk is too high, because there is this low probability, high consequence event, you might find out that okay, but in using our existing classifications, the assessment of the model is now that okay, you have now adequately reduced this event. Mm-hmm. So, because if if it's too much of a revolution, as in throw everything away and we start from scratch, this is just not not reasonable. As in, not going to happen. And um, how, how do you feel like about blind spots of this approach? Like if you're measuring based on on a set of assumptions, even even if you try to do it holistically, and okay, the current paradigm is not very innovation friendly as well, but something might escape. The, the set of rules. So you, you hope this will be continuously evolving. Uh, we will be building these measures to, to incorporate new, new challenges. Because if, if you base the safety on a risk profile, you really narrow down the safety margins. You know, in, in prescriptive fire engineering, the safety margins are, are enormous on most of the things. So there are chances that if something like comes beyond the radar, then uh, safety mar- margins would cover that and, and we are still protected. Maybe that's the trick why the current paradigm worked for a hundred years, because we we were not aware uh, about the safety margins. In your approach, by determining the, the, let's say, true fire safety of your building, you're very devoid of these safety margins, This this one, the ones that we don't know about, because you want to understand the performance completely. So there's less, let's say, space uh, for a mistake. How do you feel about that? That we need to be Careful in what we do, and this might—it's a bit of a, a kind of liberal statement, maybe. But the less 
I would almost say government intervention, the better. And what I, what I mean with that, if you prescribe... I second that. <laughs> if, if you prescribe specific targets, mm-hmm. you are 100%, you're, you're right, right? You prescribe a specific value and yeah, then yeah, what is the cheapest way to just pass? Again, mm-hmm. what, what mm-hmm. I hope, and which we, well, is automatically enabled if we do what we are trying to do. What I hope will be, uh, will happen is that you do a LARP evaluation and, and mm-hmm. you can use any other words, whatever you want, but you look at the costs and benefits of prior investments, right? In, in the best case, and which I actually also believe, it actually fulfills the promise of performance-based design much more, right? So you will have, mm-hmm. you could have cheaper buildings because you will remove things which are actually not helping which have better performance because you're going to add things which actually do improve safety and and safety both for people, it could be for the environment, could be for property protection, whatever you want. So if you set a target, okay, this is always tricky, which, what should the target be? Actually, I like those targets for thinking purposes because it helps reasoning. But what you should do is always think about, okay, but in normal situations, you always end up into a LARP and you mm. invest to the level which is the risk is as low as reasonably practicable. So yeah, you, you should not be close to that target anyway. Fantastic. I'm also just being a bit cautious because it's it's one thing to to put a vision out there, which yeah, I can yeah. imagine many people have would have similar visions, and then say, okay, these are the things which we need to develop. Am I sure that we are going to develop some nice things? Yes, there. I mean, there's risk mitigation in the mm. project, like in every project. So, yeah, we're, we're, some things will happen. Do I know now where we're going to end in five years? No, of course not. No way. Uh, th- this is the this is the ERC projects that high risk, high gain, and by saying multiple people might have similar ideas, of course, because it's evident that our approach is not perfect. Uh, I guess Kunio Kavagoya had similar ideas. I, I guess a lot of people on the road had similar ideas. There's a big difference between having an idea uh, to having a well thought out pathway, how to go from the idea to a solution, uh, which is where you are now. And I hope in five years you are at the at the solution demonstrated for one case study at least place and maybe maybe somewhere where you are. Um, where you have something very general that that can just work with the whole industry, and I think it's a, it's a very good shot. Okay, I guess we've covered project quite well. I mean, it's it's a little chaotic because the projects in ERC they are very not linear. To the listeners, it's not that Ruben is proposing I will do these tests, which will give me this coefficient, which then I will use in this model, and what I'll receive it. But yeah, I hope you guys got a really good idea where this is heading or more importantly, why and how. Now, I, I would love to ask you, because it's an opportunity for the for the fire, for you as a as ERC grant recipient, this is obviously, a, I guess, a career-changing moment, but you also need, need people to work with. So uh, let, let's talk about pragmatic stuff. There's a lot of future potential postdocs uh, listening to the show. So, so let's talk about the resources you're going to need to fulfill that. How, how do you plan out this part of the project, managing all, all of this? Well, I had to um, write down a proposal as part of the ERC application. It's currently mm-hmm. foreseen that there are five people working on the project. 
Those are three PhDs, uh, four years each, and then two postdocs, three years each. Now, but there is flexibility there. So if in the end it turns into three postdocs, two PhDs, I mean, there is nothing stopping us from doing that. And mm. uh, one thing which, I mean, if we are talking uh, pragmatic or realistic here, one thing which is quite specific for, for Belgium maybe, and some other countries as well, obviously, is we have, uh, so the ERC is 1.5 million euros. That's a lot of money. Part of it goes into just general overhead, but then we have, the rest mm. of the money is basically all of it is for people because we, um, we already have our test equipment and, and we'll manage on, on other aspects. But in Belgium, it's Belgium is probably one of the best countries in the world to do your PhD. As in the, mm -hmm. it's, the wages are very high, notably for, for PhDs. And I think this is why we have place for, for five people within the project and, and not more. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, if you did in Poland, you could afford like 10, <laughs> for sure. Uh, that, that's an opportunity. You can open an uh, overseas uh, department of, of the project if you want. Uh, the, just kidding. Well, <laughs> as long as we stay in Europe, there are some things which are allowed. But, uh, no, uh, joking there. But um, now we're not leaving. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> good points. So with, within the project, what is foreseen now is that in let's say September, two PhD students would start. But as I said, okay. if uh, if that would be a postdoc and a PhD would be happy as well. It's of course crucial to have good people for the job at hand. So, and actually this mm -hmm. is maybe very specific, but it's indeed, it's an opportunity for me as well. The research projects I'm seeing here, if I have my timeline nicely. So the first PhD would be working on this value of information aspect, mm -hmm. but actually working towards it throughout the PhD making a model for glazing, collecting data, so input, uncertainty, mm -hmm. quantification input there, actually doing the tests and then quantifying upfront what the test output is going to teach us. So this is the value of information. Mm -hmm. So this is a PhD, which is just doing that basically, bringing us to oh, the yeah. first evaluation, value of information for a fire test. The second PhD is on the gray modeling but gray modeling with a bit of focus on risk as well, I must say. Mm -hmm. So this is those profiles are actually very different if you think about it, right? So the, the first PhD has some, would need to know something about structures or at least be able to, to handle, let's say, finite element modeling as well there because you need to do tests on a structural element, glazing, and have the modeling there with mm -hmm. uncertainty quantification. Second profile, Thinking much more about fundamentals of risk, what are the constraints? And if we do physical modeling, how are we going to implement those constraints in our machine learning approach? So very mm -hmm. different, those two. The nice thing of the project is that the researchers, both the PhDs and the postdoc, they're actually very nicely integrated in a sense yeah. that I'm in a way quite proud of, of that. Is, as in the, one PhD builds up something, a postdoc comes in, they work together to, on one hand side, finish the PhD and the postdoc takes over and mm. moves it forward on the next stage. So there's so a there's, flow uh, yes. of, of, of knowledge. Good. At least that's the what is intended. Mm. Of course, there, can, there will be for sure some practical issues. Um, people who start a bit later, things happen, right? So it will not be exactly as I said it would be. Life always comes in the way, but it's there's a reason why this is a Pfeiffer uh, grant. 
not a two or three year funding scheme. So it, it's meant to accommodate really grand ideas and support you with funding to to help you achieve these grand ideas. And it, it looks like, yeah, I mean, it's not even day one, it's it's day minus 180, but it's already, it's already looking good, Ruben. I'm really happy that this is happening and we have a really great chance to to change how we work. Hopefully you'll, you'll achieve that. Thank you. Um, it's a, a challenge, but I mean it in a positive way. It's um, The project is, what, for me personally, what I wanted to work on. Mm-hmm. And there is, I think, or I don't see, at least I don't see any other way to get consistent funding for mm-hmm. different work yeah. packages, which are actually nicely linked to each other, but still very distinct. Absolutely. Um, yes. So now this is, this is it. Now I have to uh, make it happen. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 now the easy part. <laughs> Congratulations, Ruben, uh, once again. And if you if you do something, tell me <laughs> on on air. I don't want you to call me. I want you to come to the show and tell us what happened. And uh, to anyone listening, uh, there's as you heard, September two nice opportunities open. Keep your eyes tracking this space. This is a good space to to follow and uh, really nice opportunities to work in a project that may change uh, fire science and fire engineering. Ruben, thank you very much for for coming to the show and I'm crossing fingers for your project. Thanks for the opportunity to talk, Wojciech. It's great. Thank you. And that's it. It's even hard to summarize the episode. It's it's so good. The grant proposal is so good and he really is changing the fire science. It's not the first time someone has proposed that the whole paradigm must shift. It's not the first time someone has proposed innovative ways of testing, but it, it is the first time where someone has put it into one major well-laid-out proposal with steps on how to get there, non-linear steps. I'm sorry if the parts of the episode were confusing. It's really, these grants are really complicated and you have to jump from one part to another. I hope we've done a good job in explaining the, the base concepts. And yeah, I hope Ruben will really, really achieve uh, what he planned in, in this grant. If you are someone at the early stages of their career in fire science, uh, watch out uh, announcements for job opportunities at the grant. It's an exciting opportunity to work at the project that may change the world. And uh, as Ruben said, Belgium sounds like a great place to work <laughs> for a decent amount of money. So definitely an uh, opportunity I would be looking for. That would be it uh, for this episode. Um, a final announcement, a final call. The survey of listener experience is still up in the podcast webpage, will be up for one more week. Uh, So if you would like to share your feedback with me, please do so. I've received amazing feedback, great ideas. In five minutes, I'm recording an episode that's directly related to the request from the survey. This is how I like to react to, to your needs. So if there is something you would like to hear on the podcast, if there is a way how I can improve the podcast, please tell me and I'll do that. And that's for today. I appreciate you being here with me. And uh, yeah, see you here next Wednesday. Cheers. This was the Fire Science Show. Thank you for listening and see you soon.